Welcome to the Touchline Talks podcast. It's me, your host, Curtis Foster. This podcast will feature guests from all across the football industry, and in every series, I'll be talking to specialists within the professional and grassroots game. The aim of my podcast is to educate those who seek a career within football by gaining information, knowledge, and insight into various levels of the game through the experience and advice from those who work within it. The podcast will feature individuals from various roles, and they will include managers, coaches, analysts, physios, marketing individuals, and many, many more. Join me on my podcast journey as we dive deep into the beautiful game and pick apart the foundations of football employment roles. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Touchline Talks podcast. I'm delighted to announce my fifth guest just over the halfway mark of the show of series one and it is Johnny Williams. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hi Kurt, you right? Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me onto the show. Absolute pleasure. And uh, Johnny, can you, before we get going and we sort of dive into what it is you do, can you just sort of introduce yourself and let us know who you are, what you do, uh, where you're from as much as you can? Yeah, so uh, my name's Johnny Williams. I'm 27 years old and I'm from South Wales. Um, I'm currently a performance analyst for Swansea City Football Club and I'm working with the under-23 squad. How long have you worked in performance analysis? Analysis? It's always such a difficult word for me to say. Every time I say (laughs) it, I mess it up. Analysis. How long have you worked in performance analysis, Johnny? Um, Graduated in 2014. Um... And then I started early 2015, so I guess just over five years. Okay, five years. Obviously, that's a long time for someone. You're still so young, 27. So yeah, obviously, you must have been what around 22 when you you began to sort of yeah. start studying it, or did it start before that? Um, well, it came up as an optional module in uni, so in my second year. Um, like I say, it was optional. I didn't really know much about it at all. Um, one of my friends who graduated a year uh, before me kind of suggested it was really exciting, really fun. So I, I, I chose it. And um, I actually remember my first lecture. I remember sitting there thinking, wow, this is actually really cool, something really exciting. Um, and I always remember that. And that was kind of the, the moment that kind of made me want to kick on and kind of make it into a career, really. Um, and then, so I, yeah, did all my university uh, dissertation in my third year was based on analysis uh graduated and then i got a lucky break my cousin was working for cardiff city football club as um as a physio so he kind of got me in to do some some interning do some filming and then it kind of grew from there really um so yeah i've, I've had a bit of, luck, bit of luck along the way like i say my cousin kind of got me into it um and that's the, the hardest part really is getting your foot through the door yeah, that's amazing. That's really, I mean, it's a, it's a different way to start the journey. Like you said, um, this has come off previous episodes. And I think what people are starting to realise now is that you hear this old saying, it's it's all about sort of who you know. But I, I agree with that to a certain extent within football. I think we look at people that are sort of ex-professionals and we think that they've probably got better access to, to get a route back into the game when they decide not to do uh, the playing side of it anymore and, and it's probably easier for them to get on courses and, and get educated and stuff but like you said even for people like us who haven't had sort of a uh, a playing background shall we say at a professional level it's interesting to know that there are still people that in your network you might know that can get you opportunities or yeah. at least point you in the right direction and then I think once you've sort of had a go and, and got your foot in the door like you said it's then all down to you your skills your knowledge and, and how hard you're sort of willing to work but if we sort of rewind back to well, you said you started. So you said that um, performance analysis was sort of an optional part of a course that you did at uni. Yeah. So what was it that you initially sort of started doing at uni? Yeah, so my undergrad was sport and PE. So quite a vague course, I suppose, because um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my career. So I kind of kept an open mind, um, did loads of different modules. Um, and then once I graduated, I did a master's in analysis. That's when I really knew what I wanted to do. Um but nowadays they've got undergrad courses just dedicated for analysis. So, um, so yeah, people people can start their career a lot earlier than maybe I was able to do back then, really. Yeah, that's, what uni was it that you went to to study? Uh, Cardiff Met. Okay, so when you made that transition from obviously the uni to, like you said, your first job at Cardiff, yeah. um, that was obviously quite a, a close one for you. Yeah, yeah. Again, it was it was convenient. It was just down the road, um, and again, that's part of the luck. Really, you need to be kind of 
close to a football club to get that first break, I suppose, um, which I was for- fortunate enough to do. Um, and then after a few months there, I got an interview at Swansea, which again wasn't far down the road. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, well, what we'll do is, in a bit, well, as we go on, we'll touch on sort of the experiences you've had because obviously I know you personally and yeah. and some of the sort of journey you've had into football, I think it's been amazing. Some of the, the places and the clubs you've worked at are, are incredible. So especially for someone so young at 27, like I said, so we'll, we'll touch on that because that's something that I want to sort of dig into and see if we can uh, get some insight into the top clubs. Um, but for now, we'll focus on sort of where you started and stuff. And I'm going to ask this sort of, as simply as you can, can you actually explain to people that are listening who might not necessarily know what is performance analysis? Um, yeah, so in its simple terms, I suppose we're kind of a, a support discipline for coaches. Um, so basically we <clears throat> film video footage of games, training, whatever it may be. Um, and then we provide that to the players and the coaching staff um, to, ha- to aid their learning um, so they can see, you know, mistakes or things they might have done during a game that they might not have expu- um, been able to see when they're on the pitch. Um, so yeah, basically, we're kind of a support discipline that kind of aids players and coaches. Okay, that's really interesting. So on episode one, we had Adam Mahoney, who has now worked his way up um, as the head of analysis at Bristol Rovers. So he again, he's really young and he's he's doing really well for himself. Um, have, have you and Adam ever crossed paths? Because obviously, we all met for those that don't know um when we were around it must have been around 18 i think it was at the time 18 19 a few years back uh me lee ranson who was previously on the show uh johnny and adam we all met on a academy sort of course over in upest in budapest uh at hungary so we sort of saw this opportunity it was it was a two-week voluntary course to go and work in professional academy and we were all young at the time and we didn't really know what we wanted to do but it was something that we saw come up and individually all four of us didn't know each other at the time we, we sort of applied went through this process and we ended up staying really good friends from it it was a great experience so that's how obviously I know yourself and, and you know Adam as well who was a previous guest and Lee so obviously doing something similar to what Adam does have you two ever crossed paths in the sort of um, employment world yes yeah, so like you said we met on a voluntary coaching trip to Hungary um, and I suppose none of us me and Adam didn't really know what we wanted to do we kind of went as kind of coaches to gain experience um and then since then we kind of kept in touch um he actually got a job at swansea before me um so i kind of got in touch and said look is there any anything going there and he said well perhaps in a few months time i think it was in summer 2015 he said perhaps uh, there'll be an opportunity might come up so i stayed in contact with him um and then thankfully i went for an interview and i and i got my first job there um, so yeah, that kind of networking, if you like, of going to Hungary, meeting him, staying in contact, kind of that was kind of really helpful for getting me on my way, really, on my journey. So yeah, it's amazing to hear that because one of the big themes that we've had sort of covered on the series one so far from various guests is about networking, and it's amazing to hear sort of that insight into how you obviously got an opportunity at Swansea, which is really good. Um, and like I've said to people previously, it's, it's really important that you, when you go on courses, when you do any sort of job roles, it's, it's important to network and, and be confident enough to speak to people because as you've just shown and, and given a great example, you never know when somebody might be able to help you out along the line. And if it's someone who thinks that you can obviously benefit the working environment that they're in, then then obviously well done. Like, and, and well done to you for getting that opportunity. So it's really good. It's good to hear that you've both sort of used that networking opportunity. Um, I've been asked before quite a lot of times about... Um, the hungry experience that we went on um i think it was a company called smaller earth at the yeah. time that sort of ran it um and there, there wasn't too many people that were sort of aware of it at the time but i remember it popping up and i thought oh i'm not sort of comfortable with doing this on my own at sort of 18 19 but it's probably exactly what i need i need to get out of my comfort zone i need to do that as, as a young person go to a sort of foreign country and and give it a go for a couple of weeks and sort of prove to myself that i can learn that way and i think it was one of the the biggest eye-openers for me i I'd never worked in professional football clubs before, obviously at that age. And to meet so many amazing people, it, it just gave me such an amazing sort of insight into what they do and sort of the resources and facilities they have. Even in a country like Hungary, where football 
might not necessarily be the biggest sport. I think handball is actually, from what I remember, yeah. we learned was, was the biggest sport over there. Um, so football was sort of a subsidiary sport over there and it wasn't, wasn't the main one. Um, how do you think that shaped you? Like you said, you went in there as a coach when, when we met each other on that sort of trip and you went in as a coach and since then, obviously, you've decided that you've, you've found your path. You, you love doing what you do now. What made you sort of change your mind all those years ago when you thought, actually, maybe coaching isn't for me and performance analysis is? Um, yeah, well, going back to the experience itself, um, it was kind of taking us out of a comfort zone, really. Going to a, a random country where English wasn't the first language, Hungarian was the first language. Um, so, yeah, it took us out of our comfort zone, trying to communicate with players who couldn't speak the same language as us. And, yeah, it was quite testing, I suppose. Um, in terms of making my mind up become an analyst, um, I just felt my skill set was more suited to an analyst than a coach um i'm not kind of as animated and vocal as maybe other coaches other characters and i felt that was might kind of hinder me in the long run if i'm going to be a really successful coach um before i started i was kind of okay it but not great but i knew i had a good understanding of the game um, and I knew I was quite open-minded and willing to learn. Um, so that, those are kind of the key characteristics that made me want to kind of get into analysis. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that word characteristics because this is a really good message to anyone listening is that I think we've met, sort of mentioned this before that you might sort of decide that you want to work within football, but you might not necessarily be sure what avenue you want to take. And this whole point in my podcast is to give you an insight into various roles. So we've obviously had Adam in episode one, who was a head of analysis. Now he's built himself up to get to that stage. Uh, you've got Lee Ransom, who is now an academy coach, but has spent a lot of time in grassroots and has worked his way up to, to work for a professional club. Now uh, you had Michael Bridges, who's now a club support manager um, for the Premier League. He's worked at various professional clubs. He's worked within colleges. He's worked in both men's and women's football as a coach. So again, it's building up these sort of these backgrounds and, and all these sort of insights into various different roles. We spoke in episode four to Sam Dorrington, who is a sports therapist, and we got some incredible information from him about what it is that they do and what the difference is between them and a physiotherapist. So it's really good to hear from you, Johnny, in, in terms of what you're doing and I'm so glad you mentioned the characteristics because, yeah, like I said, all those different roles out there, if you're listening and you're thinking about getting involved, think about what sort of strengths you have, think about what weaknesses you have, because a lot of it is self-reflection and it is about assessing where you're at and where you want to be and where your qualities lie. And I think within that, like you just said, Johnny, you sort of looked at it and thought, oh, I'm, I'm probably not as animated. Um, I'm not as vocal. And people will look at coaches and especially modern day coaches now and think actually that's a, that's a major part of what they have to do and what they need to do. So credit to you for sort of making that self-assessment and deciding actually you probably wouldn't be good enough at those to, to make it down that path. But it's really important again, that you've mentioned that you've found something that you do enjoy and you do love. So I want to sort of dive more into actually what it is that you do. So in terms of your, uh, pathway so obviously you mentioned that you started at Cardiff you then got an opportunity at Swansea could you just run us through because I know that there's so many amazing places that you've worked yeah can you run us through from Cardiff yeah. to where you are now how that sort of pathway has gone and what individual roles you've done within them and then we'll talk about yeah. what you actually do yeah yeah so um yeah started off at Cardiff for a few months unpaid um gained kind of the basic understanding of the practical um world and then when I got my break at Swansea, that wasn't paid initially. So the first nine months were unpaid. And then I got a part-time role at Swansea for a year. Um, and then, sorry, almost the first two years of of my journey were unpaid or part-time paid. So it's difficult, really difficult. And you've got to be really dedicated and you've got to really know what you want. So... Um, so yeah, you've got to have that desire when you start, first start for the first year or two, with the the long the long goal of getting a full career. Um, so I was working with the younger age groups, kind of the foundation phase, the youth development phase, um, which really enjoyed. And then after two years at Swansea, um, an opportunity came with Manchester City as a full time role. Um, so I applied for it, 
not knowing that I'd get an interview, got an interview, and then I got offered a role for Manchester City full time, working in their foundation phase. So that's nines to elevens. Um, so I spent two years working for Man City as an analyst. Um, and then my old boss at Swansea got in touch with me and said, do you want to come back and work with the under 18s? And I accepted, went back, worked with the under 18s, and now I'm working with the under 23s. So I've kind of experienced all different age groups in the last five years, and I've worked for three different clubs. So I've had, yeah, quite a few different experiences working with different ages, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's so good to hear that you've worked with different age groups because, again, this has come up before about how people sort of want to build a foundation. And like I said, from my personal career, I've worked in sort of both men's and women's football. Um, I've worked from six-year-olds up to seniors now um, in different capacities. And I feel like I've learned so much from that. And it actually gave me sort of the the courage to self-assess myself and look at it and go, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I get a kick out of? And that's what sort of made me do that. What do you think you've learned from um, working with different age groups, especially with what you do? What What's the difference between what you do with sort of a 9 to 11 age group to, compared to what you're doing now with the 23s group? Oh, there's loads. I mean, to work with the younger age groups takes... You've got to be really energetic and you've got to make it really fun for them to engage and to keep their, their minds stimulated. Um, and then with the older age groups, you can kind of speak to them as adults almost. So you've got to kind of really adapt and change your personality based around their their age um in terms of the actual what we were delivering um so with the younger age groups you're focusing on more technical actions um and then as you go up the age groups it becomes more tactical you're appreciating other players positions systems of play etc um also you've got to think about the patience of the player and how long they can learn for. So like the attention span of a nine-year-old maybe can only last five minutes. So you've got to get your, your key points across really concisely. And then as you work with an under 23 player, you can have like a long discussion for maybe an hour or two, really go into depth. So you've got to really adapt how you, how you um, approach the individual and their learning style, I suppose. Yeah, really interesting again, because I think there's a lot of people out there that have probably had similar experiences to myself and you in terms of they've worked with different age groups. And I think most people would would sort of give similar feedback and similar advice in that it's about understanding each age group. And you mentioned the word adaptability in there or how you have to adapt. And I think that's such an important characteristic um, with anyone working with any sort of role within football. That's certainly a common one that I found with all the guests we've had so far is that at some point they've all had to adapt, whether it's their understanding, uh, whether it's their beliefs, their values, or whether it's their philosophies, whether it's their pathway, there has been some sort of adaptability element about what they've done. And I want to touch on that a little bit more and uh, rewind back to where you started explaining about what it is you do. And this is a really key message that came out of my episode four with Sam Dorrington and he was the first person to mention it and, and you've just mentioned it again and he spoke about the money side of the sports therapy world and how he had to do a lot of hours sort of voluntarily yeah. for um for excessive hours um you you said that two years you said roughly about the first two years of your sort of career within uh, performance analysis you did that unpaid yeah. what did you sort of feel at that point because like I said, this is an educational podcast for people wanting to work within football. So people might sort of listen to that and go, oh, I, I can't do two years unpaid. But like you said, you've then gone on to have a full-time role at Manchester City, which obviously at the time you were there, am I right in thinking that must have been around when Pep Guardiola took Yeah, he over. took over, I think, a year before I went. So he was already there when I turned up, Yeah, which was unbelievable. So you would have been at the club when yeah, they yeah. won the league in the second season, right? So you've been at Man City arguably through one of their most successful periods yeah. ever. Um, like you said, it was a full-time role. You, you didn't expect to get it. Uh, you've then gone back to Swansea where you were before. You've worked with under-18s and 23s, which are obviously beyond first team, two massive roles, massive, massive roles, no matter what capacity you're working in. But yeah, can you give us some sort of insight into how you felt going two years sort of unpaid? Were there, were there points, if you're being honest, where you thought, 
I'm not sure how much sort of longer I can do this. Or did you always think, actually, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that if I do this now, in the long term, I will reap the rewards from it. Yeah, I suppose I kind of played the long game, really. I had like a, a an end, like a goal. Um, and I knew if I worked hard enough in a few years time, I'd get there sort of thing. Um, but I was I was fortunate that I was living at home. Um, so I didn't have to pay any rent, which, you know, in a lot of people's cases is not the case. Um, I had a part-time job on a zero-hour contract. Um, so I'd spend one or two days working in a cafe when, and then maybe four or five days then going in to work for Swansea unpaid, doing as much as I could. And, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Um again like there's no social hours as well so you're kind of working evening sometimes you're working weekends so there's times where you can't go and see your friends or you can't have nights out and stuff um so yeah I suppose the first two years I had to kind of sacrifice quite a lot really um but yeah once you've got an end goal in vision and you really want to get there um yeah you'll work as hard as you can to to, to reach where you want to be yeah really good sort of advice to give and following on from that like i said it is an educational podcast and there will be people listening to this going wow like i didn't realize there was such a struggle for a lot of people in different roles at the beginning um but like you just said when you find a vision and and you sort of find something that you think actually that's where i want to be it will push you through the, the difficult times that you start with and the whole point of this podcast is we're not going to inspire everyone to go oh yeah right thanks for the podcast I definitely now want to go and do this but it will inspire a lot and and that's what's important but it will also give some people that are sort of 50 50 and they're not sure it will give them a general overview of whether it's the industry they want to work in and realistically some people are going to come away from listening to some of these episodes and go well actually I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to do that and I'm not sure actually I want it enough to do that so maybe it's not for me and I think that's just as important as, as it is for me trying to encourage people to get involved with it if they want to do it but actually if it's not for you and, and you do think, oh, actually, I'm not sure, then then yeah, obviously it might not it might not be, and that might be the case for you. Uh, like Johnny said, a lot of the hours that you do, unpaid as well, they are really unsociable hours. A lot of it's obviously evening and weekend work, so it's a big commitment to have to make. Um, so yeah, thanks for that advice, Johnny, and sort of the insight into to your background and and where you started. Um, in terms of what you just mentioned about sort of finding an, an end goal what would be the ultimate sort of dream and goal for you? Is there, is there a certain sort of thing that you're working towards to say one day I want to look back at my career and say, I'm so glad that this is where I've ended up or this is the ultimate dream for me? Um, it's difficult to have a, a specific end goal because um, you've got to get a, a few um, breaks to get where you want to be. Um, but I, th- I think eventually I'd like to work in the first team setting. Um yeah, I don't know which club that would be at, but I'd like to work in a first-team environment, um, whether that's Championship or Premier League. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, first team would be yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, again, really good. Like you said, you're not sure what club that might be at, but so you've got a sort of general overview of where you want to end up and and sort of the goals that you've got. So long term, you do have that ambition of of wanting to work with sort of senior level players and, and things like that. And your career shows so far that you've sort of made that natural step. So you've, you've done your some time with the youngsters. You've done sort of some foundation work. Um, you've worked your way up now to 18s and 23s. And obviously, like I said, that's in terms of what you want to do, that's the second sort of highest level you can get to um, before you hit the, the first team in the senior level. And I want to touch on that for a minute and ask you a question about where you're currently working, obviously, at Swansea with the 23s. Um, I'm obviously very aware that uh, Steve Cooper's come in this year, who was really successful with the England sort of youngsters. And um, I believe, I'm I'm 99% sure it was him that uh, won the Under-17 World Cup, wasn't it? With um, Ryan Brewster and Phil Foden. So he's obviously someone who's built a reputation as a coach um, or a head coach, not necessarily as a manager. And he's been given a, a massive opportunity by Swansea to sort of showcase what he can do and what he has done. And I mean, he's earned that. And what an amazing job he obviously did with the England setup. And I watched Swansea a few times earlier the season before, um, unfortunately, this tough time hit us all. And 
I loved watching his team play. I think it was very evident that he had a, a playing style philosophy. He incorporated a lot of youngsters into his side. He, he obviously brought Rian Bruce in on loan from Liverpool. And I just want to ask you, are, are you getting many opportunities to work with the first team or is it quite separate from the 23s role that um, you're doing? No, I think I do have good involvement with the first team. How it works, the the academy and the first team are kind of on two different sides. Um, but the 23s are on the same side as the first team. So I'm kind of in, in the building with the first team on a daily basis. Um, and I've got good rapport with the first team analysts. We share ideas. Um, so, yeah, I'm fortunate to kind of be in that, in that environment, to kind of learn off them um, as much as I can, really. Um, I think Steve's, Steve's a very kind of modern day modern day coach. Um, obviously, working with England, he's kind of got up to date ideas. And I think he, he really respects analysis and he puts a lot of um, a lot of time and effort into analysis. Um, so I'd say we've got one of the better departments in, in the league just because he values it and he's put so much effort into it. Um, I think we've got four, we've got three full-time first-team analysts, which is a lot for a championship club. Um, so it kind of shows how, how, how much he values us really as a department. Yeah, it's really good to hear that you are valued and hopefully long may that continue. And you mentioned about sort of Steve Cooper being like, like you said, a modern day sort of coach and in terms of that, he values the analysis. And this is something that me and Adam discussed in episode one about whether obviously there's certain coaches or managers out there that might not necessarily find it beneficial. Uh, there are certain managers and coaches that live by it and, and die by it and, and actually think that statistics and analysis is one of the most important things. I mean, me personally, as, as a young coach, well, I like to think I'm still a young coach, um, sort of learning the trade. I think it's so powerful and it's just black and white, isn't it? When you use analysis, you can sort of say, well, actually, this is the situation. This is what's happened. Uh, let's sort of dissect it together. And where you sort of might get confrontation sometimes from players and when they sort of say, oh, no, I didn't do that or that didn't happen. Actually, it is black and white yeah. on the on the video um, and it's there for sort of everyone to see. What do you think sort of like, we, we'll go back to the characteristics thing. We'll link it into what you're doing now. What are the key characteristics you think you've got to have to, to do what you do with sort of the under 23s? And why is your job so important to pushing under 23 players up to first team standard? Um, I think as, as a 23 squad, our, our goal is, or our job is to get players into the first team squad. Um, as, as an academy, I think we've been quite productive in the last kind of five, six years. I think we've had one of the best productivity rates um, in the championship for sure. And maybe even the Premier League. We've had a lot of players graduate into the first team in the last five, six years. Um, and the role analysis has played in that. Um, we have a lot of team meetings. We have team meetings, unit meetings, individual meetings with the players um, to kind of make them understand what the first team um, require, how how they can get to that level. Um, so yeah, as a department, I think we're we're quite highly respected, um, and analysis has played a big role in their in their graduation into the first team. Yeah, you mentioned that you obviously work as a team. So what's the sort of structure in terms of where you are now and, and the team that you work with and how does that work? Um, so 23 staff, you've got your first team coach, you've got your 23 coach and assistant coach, your goalkeeping coach, sports science, analysis. Um, and then you've got a, new, a part-time nutritionist as well, psychologist. So there's kind of maybe eight, eight to 10 staff just focused on the 23s. So we're kind of a, a team in itself, really, I suppose. Um, in terms of what I do, um, I suppose I'll go through my, my weekly structure, maybe. Um, yeah, please, so, it'll be really good. Say we play a game on the Saturday and then a game on the following Saturday. So we'll have a day off on the Sunday and then we'll come in on a, a Monday and we'll have a, a team meeting with the whole team as a like a post-match review of how the game went. Um, that'll last maybe 15 minutes talking about how we performed in possession, how we performed out of possession, set pieces. Um, so that'll be with the whole team as a review. Um, and then the next day on the Tuesday, we'll come in and we'll do unit meetings. 
So we'll meet with the defenders, the midfielders and the forwards separately. And it'll be more kind of talking about those intricate relationships between players. And it'll be like an open and honest discussion where they can kind of chip in half the time and we can chip in with what we think half the time. Um, and then on the Wednesday, the day after that, we'll do individual meetings with players, um, which isn't compulsory. It's not needed every week. Um, maybe the player might initiate that meeting or perhaps it'll be the coach, depending on what needs to be spoken about. Um, and then on the Thursday, that will be when the focus changes from the, the previous game to the next game. So the Thursday, I'll start clipping the opposition for the next game. Um, and I'll put an opposition report together to show the coaches, which will be maybe a half an hour video of the opposition. And I'll sit down with the coaches, we'll have a meeting, and then we'll figure out what we want to show the players. So then on the Thursday, we'll sit down with the players, show them what the opposition are likely to do, what system they might play, um, how they set up on set pieces. And then on the Friday, that'll be condensed down again from a 10-minute video to a five-minute video where we'll do another opposition meeting, um, just kind of re reiterating key points ready for the game on the Saturday. So it was a bit long-winded, but yeah, that's my week, really. No, that's amazing. That That's the kind of thing that I want to hear about. I want people to hear about. It's, it's like a working week. Um, and it's actually, everyone else has sort of given an insight into that as well. So no, I was going to ask you that at some point anyway. So thanks for sort of doing that. Um, I, I was just listening. I was actually really intrigued by that. And again, I, I'm, I'm learning so much in this podcast and I'm so glad that I started it. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll learn so much more as we get towards the end of the season as well. Um, Touching on what you just mentioned about um, what you provide throughout the week. So you said that you do some team analysis, some unit, some individual opposition, and, and you cover set pieces within that as well. So obviously yeah. there's, there's so many different areas of analysis that, again, other people might not even use one area of that. So that's such a powerful tool to be able to use. Um, I want to ask a question um, because this is something obviously I'm not aware of. I've not been in this environment. When you do the analysis, obviously you, you're the one that obviously yeah. films it, you, you clip it, and it's usually by request of what the coach will want to see or, like you said, a player might come to you and ask for some sort of information or feedback about it. When you then deliver it in the team meetings, like you said, is, would it be you that does it or would it then be the coach that delivers it? Um, generally, if it's a meeting to the players, generally it's the coaches. Um, but the opposition meeting where the coaches meet in, that's when I deliver to the coaches and tell them the key points. And then but if it's in front of the players, generally it's the coaches. Um, but sometimes in individual meetings or unit meetings, I'll have the chance to chip in and give my view as well. Um, but but typically, typically it's the coaches, I'd say. Um, but it, it depends on the coach, really. Um, when I was working at Man City, um, the coaches were kind of, keen to get me involved and to get my view on things um, with the younger age groups. Um, I think as you move up the age groups and it becomes more competitive, maybe more serious, um, the lead coach likes to kind of take control. Um, but yeah, it depends on the coach, really. I think it probably varies across the board. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I want to sort of, uh, pick up one of the points that you just mentioned again and this is something that me and Adam discussed in episode one to do with analysis and the role that you do you said that in terms of what you deliver and stuff you you need some of the sort of coach base opposition analysis so you'll you'll give them a an overview of what you found or what they might want to hear and, and you'll deliver to the coaches they then might go and sort of deliver that onto the players in in the meeting with them in terms of you sort of picking up bits here and there, like you said, you did at Man City as well. People wanted to hear sort of your insight and, and get your knowledge or opinions on, on certain things. With regards to that, um, going back to the discussion I had with Adam, how important do you think it is to have an understanding of football itself rather than being someone, like you, you mentioned earlier about you weren't particularly amazing at computers, you were competent enough when you started doing it, but... Yeah. It's not just analysis is one of those things where some people might think like someone sitting behind a laptop coding um, video in and, and just sort of hiding behind that. But like you said, you do actually have to stand up and speak up and, and give your sort of views on everything. So how important is it to understand the game of football itself and 
going back to where you sort of began as a coach before you did this, do you think that's benefited you in any way or do you still sort of do ongoing studying of, of coaching, shall we say? Yeah, I think starting off doing coaching before analysis definitely helped me kind of appreciate their role, I suppose. Um, understanding what they're thinking, what, what, what their needs are. Um, so I was kind of able to understand them and then kind of figure out how I can fit myself into that kind of process really how I can help the coach help the player to kind of give my input um, I think like you said some people perceive an analyst to be sitting behind a laptop and kind of not being involved vocally I think maybe that was the case early on when the industry hadn't really grown maybe five six years ago that was the case the analyst was quiet just kind of behind the laptop not having much input but as it's evolved over the years, I think the analyst has kind of needed to chip in because they're actually watching the footage themselves. They're spending hours and hours every day. Sometimes they have a better understanding than the coach, sometimes. Um, so I think their their opinion needs to be valued um, as much as the coach sometimes. Yeah, I think another really good point again, and this is something that we keep mentioning, and it's about being valued doing sort of what you do and like you said, you're the expert, so to speak, in terms of what you're doing in, within that role. So it is important that anybody who's sort of listened to this thinking, oh, I'm a coach or a manager, um, might not be at the top level, it might be at sort of lower level, and you might be thinking, oh, this is something I want to try and incorporate in. I, I've really enjoyed listening to uh, Johnny and Adam speak in episode one, and I like what they've sort of mentioned about analysis. I like how powerful it is. I didn't realise it could be so beneficial to my team. And there might be people thinking, oh, I'm going to take that idea and, and see if I can sort of do it all myself. And that's absolutely fine. But just remember, if, if you are going to go and look for someone to, to sort of assist you with that, trust them, value them, because they are the ones that have studied it. They are the ones that are essentially experts within it. And, and they can be so powerful, you as, powerful for you as well. So it's not just the content and the service that they can provide for you in terms of what they do, but it's actually the personality, the, the character, the, the knowledge, the understanding that they have doing what they do that, could really really benefit you um so it's really good to sort of hear about that and like you said in terms of you picking up more and more stuff as you go on do you feel like because again you mentioned earlier that you weren't necessarily the most animated person and, and that was sort of the reason why you didn't go into coaching do you feel like you've grown as a person through being able to deliver with what you do now or do you think that's something you've just learned on the job to, to become more confident or, or what's changed? Because you've obviously got to a point now where it's part of your job to speak and, and do that in front of groups of people. What's changed for you and, and how did you sort of improve on that skill that you sort of identified as a weakness before? Um, I suppose going out of my comfort zone, really. Um, sometimes you'll be sat in a meeting and the coach will kind of call you out and ask your opinion. Um, and you've got to kind of stand up and kind of say what you think. Um, just working with loads of different players, different coaches, has kind of built confidence, I suppose. Um, building that knowledge has given me the confidence to kind of deliver myself. Um, so just just time, experience of, you know, five years working with hundreds of different players has kind of given me that, that confidence, that knowledge to kind of to kick on really and um to become more skilled i suppose yeah and they obviously say that no two players are the same so obviously you're working with such a large amount of people over over that period you must have got such an amazing sort of understanding and and developed your personal skills and following on from that so we've spoken about obviously you identified that as a weakness and quite clearly from even listening to you speak now, you're a very confident speaker. You speak with a lot of passion, a lot of energy. Um, you've got some amazing knowledge and understanding of the game and, and obviously what it is you do. Um, you're still 27, so you're still, for me, you're, you're really young. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you'd sort of class yourself as still young within the game. You're still learning a lot. Uh, like you said, your aim would be one day to potentially work with senior players and, and sort of within a first team somewhere. Um, so you're, you're well on your way to doing that of your experience and your knowledge so far. But... What do you think will sort of help you get to that next step or that next level? Like I said, you're, you're still young. You spent five years. You've worked with hundreds of players. You've been at three top, top clubs. What will help you personally make that jump to the next level? How can you develop yourself more now? Um, 
yeah, like I said, I, I kind of shadow the first team analyst at Swansea, which I'm fortunate to do. So I'm kind of learning off them on a on a daily basis. Um, and I think yeah, improving my my level of detail, my level of knowledge. Um, so with the 23s, we're kind of looking at opposition analysis. We'll look at three three opposition games, and we'll kind of give just brief points on the, how they play in possession, out of possession. But then if you go into a first-team setting, you're looking at maybe the last five, six games, and you're going into a, a greater level of, of detail, focusing on individuals. Uh, you're looking at trends, patterns. Um, so, yeah, just increasing that level of that detail, I suppose, um, which hopefully I'll develop in the next few years, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's really good and really good to hear you pushing yourself and, and wanting to get to that next level. And you've obviously got a clear plan of how you're going to do that and stuff. In terms of actual education and, like I said, sort of teaching yourself, educating yourself, other than obviously the uni course that, that you did at the time, are there any courses that you've gone on uh, since that you felt have sort of benefited you or you'd advise people to go on? Um, it's difficult with analysis because it's not as as popular as coaching there's there's no actual specific course out there at the moment i think adam said yeah, that as well yeah. yeah um so a lot of analysts actually do their coaching badges um so i'm coming to the end of my b license now um not just for the coaching but for the the, the practical knowledge the knowledge of different systems of play etc um but yeah there's only there's only uh, a certain amount of that course that's really applicable to me. So I think that's something that's going to probably develop in the next maybe few years. Hopefully there'll be a course out there designed just for an analyst. Um, but yeah, you know, the industry has only been going maybe 10 years. So it's still kind of finding its feet and growing. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time, really. Yeah, that'd be really good um, to, to see some sort of more access routes or see some more development opportunities for people that are within it like you said so you're not just learning yeah. off other people there actually, are there, there are um, online courses beginning. actually i'll just chip in there there are a few online courses um if you go on the videoanalyst.com which is kind of the the most popular analyst website there are some online courses to just in, improve technical um skills uh, using different bits of software there's like excel courses um which can be helpful um so yeah i'd I'd probably advise to go on the video analyst website and see, see what's available. Yeah, that's good. That's really helpful because I mean, I wasn't aware of that. And I've mentioned before that I want to sort of broaden my knowledge within individual roles and, and coaching and, and managing is what I want to do at a senior level. But I'm, I would find it really beneficial sort of being able to do some sort of analysis myself and obviously psychology elements of the game as well. And it was really interesting to hear from Sam on the, on the last episode about sort of sports therapy and, I just think all these roles seem to be overlapping at some point. And I think you've probably identified that as well. Like you said, you're in your B license now, which obviously a lot of people find it difficult to, to get on. And you said that not a lot of it is actually applicable to you. So I think it's just teaching people to actually take sort of key information and key chunks out of the stuff that you're doing and, and make it relevant to you and, and your pathway and your development. In terms of going back to, to the B license now that you said, obviously that's a, that's a coaching course, isn't it? And like I just said, there is an overlap now. Um, as someone who wanted to obviously go into coaching and then decided that it probably wasn't for them have now ventured into a, another sort of avenue of the game to then go back onto a coaching course, do you think that you made the right decision? Um, I think so, yeah, because like I say, I have got something out of it. Um, and yeah, maybe 50% of it isn't applicable to an analyst, but the other 50% is. So like overall, I think it has benefited me. Um and it's, it's improved because I've, I've had to deliver coaching sessions on the course, which has kind of helped me appreciate the coach's job. So then when I do come to work with a coach, I kind of understand what they're going through and their thoughts, their feelings, and understand when I can kind of chip in and help them. So it's kind of helped my understanding of how they work almost. Yeah, so again, it's, it's transferable skills, isn't it? And and you've learned that by sort of doing it directly. Um, and it's probably helped you in terms of, like you said, um, being able to speak in front of groups, being more vocal and, and things like that. So that's that's probably helped you being out of your comfort zone and doing that. Um, in terms of 
like the understanding and knowledge you have of the game. Um, can you sort of dig a little deeper into, or can we dig a little deeper into what you do and what sort of platforms and software in terms of analysis are you using? And are these sort of things that are only available to like pro clubs or are there things that you think sort of lower level clubs could access? Um, so the, the software that most professional clubs use is quite expensive and maybe grassroots clubs would struggle to kind of fund the the top bits of software. So we use um, so, uh, sports code to code our games and we use software called Huddle to um, as like a library to store all our games. And then we use animation tools. Like when you watch um, Monday Night Football, the animation tools they use on there, we have like a similar software, which again is quite expensive. Uh, it's called Piero. Um, but there are alternatives out there. Um, so there's a company called ClipDraw, which do kind of basic animations. And again, I think that's really cheap. I, 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 I don't want to say, I don't know how much it is, but it's a lot cheaper Um than Piero, where you're possibly spending thousands of pounds a year, maybe ten thousand pounds a year. But for grassroots clubs, there are opportunities out there to use cheaper alternatives. Um, but yeah, it, it is difficult for maybe grassroots clubs to kind of to learn about these these things because it's hard for them to kind of to kind of learn and know what's out there really. Um, Yeah, I mean, touching on the um, the clip draw thing, and you mentioned about it being like Monday Night Football, I think because of the coverage Monday Night Football has been getting over the last sort of year or two, uh, since Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher sort of started doing their, um, let's say their debates and, and their analysis on that, I think it's really opened people's eyes to the detail that, that you can go into. And I think people found that so fascinating. Is that something similar to what you do in terms of what they provide them on their football? Do you feel like that's quite relevant to, to the role that you're in? Yeah, kind of. Um, not every presentation or analysis session needs the animation tools. Um, sometimes if you just want to get across a few simple points, you're not going to use them because it, you know, um, it can be quite labour intensive. But, um, but yeah, we probably use it for maybe 30% of our analysis sessions. Um, just to highlight highlight key points um i think the players really enjoy it as well um especially the younger boys when i was working with man city the kind of the under nines tens elevens really enjoyed using it themselves and actually going on the screen and giving their own ideas and playing around with the animations so in terms of like an engagement point of view it really is good for the players to kind of um to, to learn and really be engaged with the game that way yeah, I think that's great that you just mentioned that. Um, again, it's making it relevant to the group that you're working with. And, and it's really interesting to hear that you sort of give the players at a young age that freedom to sort of give it a go and, and keep them engaged. Like you mentioned sort of at the beginning of the podcast about the difference between working with the youngsters and the senior players. And you said that you sort of got to be a lot more concise and, and clear yeah. and, and to the point and keep it short when you talk to the youngsters. Um but you just mentioned that that's probably a method that you've used to to engage them a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, I think if, get if them the coach is kind of stood at the front <laughs> talking for 20 minutes, players can almost switch off a bit and kind of lose track of what's going on. It's like being in school. If a teacher's just talking for hours and hours on end, you're not going to take in all the information. Um, we, we did a study with City when I first got there um, around attention spans. And we, we figured out that players could only intake information for up to 15 minutes before they started to kind of forget things um so from that study we kind of made sure that every analysis session was under 15 minutes we kind of aimed for about a 10 minute slot so our, our points were really clear really concise and really engaging we tried to get the players to kind of chip in with their own ideas as well um so that's something to think about is try and try and minimize your your presentations and try and get your points across really clearly and concisely because players will switch off. I've been in meetings for like an hour. Some coaches have been in the, in the room for an hour, just talking, talking, and you can almost see players, you know, falling asleep almost. Uh, sounds ridiculous, but, um, <laughs> but no, I can imagine it. <laughs> um, no, it's really good. Like, yeah, some really key points that you've, you've just mentioned there. And I, that's, sort of opened my mind a little bit I mean 15 minutes I, I personally thought it would have been a, a little bit longer than that 
Um, but it's interesting that you've used that sort of data, that analysis within what you guys have found to actually apply that to your working role and your working sort of job. Um, 15 minutes is, yeah, it's a lot, that shocks me a little bit. It's a lot shorter than I thought it would be. But you just mentioned about sort of when, if you're going to do it and, and you're going to do it sort of properly, it's about essentially minimising the time that you're doing, but maximising the information you're giving. So if you're going to give that information don't overload them again like you said it's not about overloading the time or information it's about sticking to a specific sort of slot um pick some key points and, and focus on those key points and probably focus on getting those across rather than trying to reinvent sort of the whole season or philosophy within an hour um like you said it probably isn't beneficial but again some really good insight into analysis being used within your own job so that's really good to hear that and if we were to flip that from from the youngsters and go to sort of where you're at now in the 23s, what would you say is different about the 23s? So obviously with the youngsters, you said that you'd sort of give them ownership to have a little play around. It would keep them engaged a little bit more. Do you find that that's beneficial with the under 23 lads or would they not sort of find that as beneficial? Would they rather sit there and listen to you sort of tell them about themselves? Um... I'd say we give less opportunities for the 23s to kind of use the animation tools. Um, more because I think the younger ones enjoy it more. Maybe the older ones don't see it as that much fun. They'd rather kind of sit there and just have an open discussion with with the analyst or the coach and just, just talk about things. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just it comes with age, really. Older players maybe don't need the tools as much. They, they've got that kind of that baseline of knowledge and understanding where they can just talk about things and then you can have an open and honest discussion with them. But the younger boys, you need to make things as clear and concise as possible. Um, so, so yeah, we don't use these tools as much with the older boys, but when, when, when it's needed and you're trying to explain something uh, quite complicated, then yeah, it's sometimes needed now with the 23s. Yeah, you mentioned about um, you mentioned earlier in the show that when you're working with the 23s players, um, it's obviously a lot more tactical based than with the youngsters, a lot more technical. So it goes sort of hand in hand with what you're saying is that when you when you speak to sort of the older players, it might not necessarily be a huge breakdown of, of technical sort of analysis. It might just be um, a tactical understanding and a quick sort of 30 second clip of, of positional awareness or something like that or... Um, something along those lines, isn't it? In, in terms of what you're providing for them. And, and it can often be a little bit more simple um, because they, again, if players are at that elite level that, that you're using these things like you are at the moment with your club, they've probably had years of sort of dissecting their own game, their technical side of their game. They've built up this tactical understanding because they've had such an elite level of sort of uh, service provided by coaches, by staff that in their journey. And they probably have a, a really good understanding of the game anyway, at this point. So, it might be different, obviously, to doing it with like a non-league side who potentially haven't had that pathway. So, again, adaptability, I think, is a, is a good message here. And like you said, you adapted when you went from the youngsters to the 23s um, and, and you've explained why. And it's really clear. And for anyone listening, again, if you're going to go and do this at a different level of the game where players might not have that much access, they might not have had the same journey or pathway or sort of resources available to them you don't need to sort of reinvent the game of football. It might just be some simple, like Johnny said a couple of times, clear, concise information can go a long way. And it's not about sort of showing them how much knowledge you have. It's just about breaking down the important elements of their game that, that could benefit them. Because ultimately all of our jobs are to make these players the best they can be, to enhance their performance, to maximise their potential and to get them to where they can be. Um, Johnny, you've given so much insight and, and some really good information. Again, you've opened my mind yet again, and another great sort of podcast, and, and I'm so glad I'm doing this. Um, if we're going to wrap it up, can you potentially give us a couple of books that you might have read uh, that you think people might be interested in? It doesn't have to be necessarily about uh, analysis, or if, if you're not someone that's sort of read a lot, is there any courses you could advise or any videos on sort of the internet that you think you've learned Ooh, from in terms or people of could learn from books i'm not a big reader um but i have read a book um as a united fan and admirer of one of the best coaches ever i read sir alex ferguson's autobiography which i'm sure a few people have read um so that's one of my favorite books um 
And I'll give a, a non-sporting book, uh, which I recently read, was Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules of Life. Um, yeah, like it's, it's non-sporting, but I think a lot of the, the viewpoints he gives towards behaviour and towards life kind of has kind of helped me transfer that into the, the job I do now. So, uh, yeah. That's good. No, it's really good to hear. And in terms of like content that you might be able to find online, like you said, there's there's not too much in terms of analysis specific courses available at this point, other than university courses. And I mean, you've got a choice here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the choice. You can either give us some advice or, or give some advice to people listening about some content that they might be able to find and where to find it, whether it's YouTube, what to sort of search for, or you can spend a couple of minutes just talking about the uni course and sort of what that provided for you because that might be an eye-opener as well. Um, yeah, it's up I'll, to you. I'll touch on both. Um, so, yeah, uni, uni courses for analysis. When I was a, uh, studying, there was only one master's course in the country, and that was at Cardiff Met. Nowadays, I think there's maybe five, six, seven analysis master's courses in the country. Um, so there's a lot more options available, and there's maybe 10 undergrad analysis courses across the country. Um so there's a lot more opportunity these days to, to study to study analysis. Um, in terms of courses, uh, like I said earlier, maybe go on the Video Analyst website. Um, there's loads of resources, different courses. I think there's a few Excel courses. Um, and there's also loads of job op- um, applications on there for different jobs that become available. Um, so that's like the main the main website people use. Um, trying to think of other courses, really. Um, I did do a course about six years ago called Prozone Course. Have you heard of Prozone? Uh, yeah, Prozone was something that I thought was um, sort of a leading industry software. Um, I don't know if that if it used to be or whether Prozone's actually sort of statistics based, but well, I mean, yeah, go on, elaborate. Now, you're probably I don't know if, even, a lot more if it's still me, running, but I'd have a look. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a combination of statistics and video when I did it. Um, they kind of got you to do an opposition analysis. I think I studied Spain or something. Um, and then they tried to kind of merge data and video to kind of merge the two to produce uh, like a 10 minute presentation. Um, so that was a really good experience. So yeah, I'd try and check that out, go on their website and see if there's any courses like that available now. Yeah, that'd be a really good one for anyone listening. I think, like I said, if that's available, if not, there are probably a couple of other opposition analysis ones that hopefully will, will provide something similar because a lot of them now, like you said, with, with modern day, I think we're getting to that point now where it's video say, and... Um, statistics and data so hopefully yeah some really good ones um the football association of wales do an annual conference at dragon park in newport where they're based um they'll have different guest speakers within the field that's really interesting um i think it costs about 50 quid uh to go on the course for a day but there's some really good uh, speakers on that um and then various other clubs have different analysis um speakers and conferences um so yeah, definitely try and look out for them and learn off people in the field in the industry. No, that's an that's an amazing point to end on that one because that touches on our point of obviously networking. And I think when we when we talk about these courses, and obviously I, I'm asking my guests to sort of advise on courses that people can do, and most of the people I've spoken to have been to uni anyway and sort of done a degree. Um, I myself didn't do a degree; I didn't go to uni, so. That's why I find it really interesting hearing about content of courses and, and what other people have done and see if I could sort of get myself on them and develop my understanding. But your first person, I think, has mentioned a conference. And I actually think they're, they're a lot more powerful than people think. Um, they're a really good opportunity to network. You, you get hundreds of people at them. Um, like you said, £50 for, for a whole day sort of conference to hear some really elite guest speakers. Um, these will be people that have got an incredible insight, incredible experience and an incredible journey within the game. And you could just learn so much. But I mean, I did, I did one a couple of years ago. Um, it was with Lee, actually, who, who was in one of the earlier episodes. And we went up the Medeski Stadium at Reading um, and we did a conference over here for the English FA. And some of the sessions that we watched that day, I mean, really blew my mind. I, I can't remember the, the chap's name now who delivered one of the courses. Um, he, he delivered a session and I actually stood there and I just thought, wow, 
like if this is the level that I need to get to I'm, I'm a long way off um, and it really opened my eyes in that sense and the energy and the enthusiasm this guy had he was he was absolutely incredible um, and that was all from a conference that I thought I'd just be sort of sat there I thought I'd do it but I thought I'd be sat there bored just listening to someone talk all day but I was so wrong and, and I was yeah. wrong to go in that mentality so yeah um, a really good one Johnny that one um, to, to advise about getting on conferences but I mean all in all another amazing podcast i'm sitting here i've learned so much i'm going to go away i'm going to take the information myself um, i'm going to do some research into some of the stuff that you've mentioned um even the statistics based stuff where you mentioned about um the attention span i'm, I'm probably going to have to go and a little research on that and see if i can find anything um so thank you so much for opening my mind hopefully you've done exactly the same for other people listening i'm sure you have i know people have been finding this really interesting doing this podcast so um keep the feedback coming people um, and if you have sort of any questions or anything you'd like me to ask my guests, please do let me know. But other than that, Johnny, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you to to you for coming on the show, giving us an insight and, and talking so openly about your journey, where you've come from, uh, what you do to learn, what you do to develop, the, the clubs you've worked with, the things you do with the players. So oh, brilliant. Thank yeah, you thanks so for having me. And, um, and, good and luck I wish with the rest you all the, the best with your the career. podcast, I suppose. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and found it insightful. If you'd like to be a guest or if you have any topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes, either DM me on Twitter at ttalkspod or email me at touchlinetalkspod at outlook.com.